somehow next week is the first week of Advent. And uh, before we dive into that breathless season of watching and waiting, we have a gospel reading today that helps us get our heads in the game as we get ready to journey to Bethlehem. The prophet Zechariah is the one speaking today's reading, and he is having a heck of a year. After the angel Gabriel, Gabriel speaks to him in the temple and tells him that his wife Elizabeth is finally going to have a baby after waiting for a really long time, Zechariah goes speechless for a while. It's not until he sees the baby and agrees with Elizabeth that his name should be John the Baptist that Zechariah regains his speech. As soon as he can open his mouth, Zechariah offers this beautiful prophecy that we just heard in which he reaffirms his faith in a present and justice-seeking God and declares his gratitude for the child that he and Elizabeth are welcoming into the world. This child, he finally admits, will be a prophet himself who will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to bring hope to the forgotten, and to baptize the people in the way of God's peace. When we read this story, uh, sometimes we're quick to wonder, what took Zechariah so long? When the angel, angel Gabriel first tells Zechariah that this new baby is coming, his first question is, how will I know that this is so? To which Gabriel answers, because you did not believe my words, you won't be able to speak until the baby's born. While Elizabeth and Mary also seem surprised to suddenly be carrying babies, for God, we do get the sense that they get on board with it a little faster than he does. They sort of move in together for a while, blessing each other and getting ready together. But in the meantime, Zechariah is sort of stuck in this silence. When I was reading this this past couple weeks, I was wondering if this story is maybe a story of an old prophet making way for two new prophets. I wonder if Zechariah's silence doesn't have something to do with how reluctant he might be to admit that God is capable of doing something that he wasn't expecting. I wonder if Zechariah is having a hard time believing that one kid and then another could have something new to prophesy about the workings of God. If we back up a little earlier in this chapter, Gabriel drops a hint about what God's plan is for Zechariah and Elizabeth's new baby. Gabriel says, With the spirit and power of Elijah, John will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And I'm wondering if this line is about Gabriel telling us that in order to prepare ourselves for the Lord, that we need to listen to kids. In order to prepare our hearts and minds for the workings of God, we need to orient ourselves not just towards some abstract future generations, which is also important, but that we also need to orient ourselves toward the kids that are right here today, who are telling us what they know about God and the world, and who are trying to lead us here and now. It seems like Gabriel might be saying that we need to turn our hearts to the prophets who are younger than us, or newer than us, who are dreaming big, God-inspired dreams, the kid prophets who refuse to settle for the constraints of the system as it seems today. This past weekend, 
a bunch of you know that nine of us from SPSA heard the stories of some incredible kid prophets as we traveled to Atlanta and Montgomery and Selma and Birmingham with our siblings at B'nai Jeshurun to learn about the civil rights movement and how African Americans have been fighting for liberation in a country that has never really been able to listen. We had the chance to meet Linda Blackman-Lowry, who was turning 15 as she joined the famous Selma to Montgomery March for voting rights in what became known as Bloody Sunday. As a 15-year-old, Linda told us that she already had a clear vision of what was at stake. She had watched her mom die at the hands of a racist and neglectful healthcare system, and she had dedicated her life to changing things. By the age of 15, Linda Blackman-Lowry had already been arrested nine times for her leadership in the civil rights movement, but she would not be distracted. She told us what her grandmother taught her, that if you start something, you've got to take it to the end. Through a faith that she could do all things through a God who strengthens her, Linda insisted that determination, not courage, is what has kept her connected to the movement all these years since. Linda Blackman-Lowry's story has me thinking a lot about the prophetic power that kids offer the world if we're ready to turn our hearts and listen. There's something holy and sacred about the persistence of a kid prophet who's still determined to imagine something better for the world. I think there's something God-sent about imaginations that are unconstrained by the limits of the world as it is, who reject harmful rules and norms in favor of building something new together. There's something kingdom-building about youth movements that focus on collaboration and teamwork, like the college students we learned about last weekend who built strength in numbers at the Greensboro sit-ins. And there's a holy rage or something that demands our undivided attention when kids become prophets in their death. From Emmett Till, to the four girls who died in the Birmingham church bombing, to 12-year-old Tamir Rice, who was killed by police five years ago yesterday. If we're able to turn our hearts toward the kid prophets in our communities, we quickly learn that kids are often the most vulnerable and have the most to lose. We quickly learn that kids often have their finger on the pulse of the community's needs better than anyone else, and that they have a divine inkling of what ought to be done about it. When we turn our hearts toward the kid prophets in our lives, it becomes apparent that God is trying to speak to us in a new way. Once we do all this heart turning, we find that we have a lot to learn. One of the biggest new ideas that the young John the Baptist would bring to the world was his instruction to stop presuming that you know everything. As he builds his ministry and starts baptizing people, he preaches to them, just because you're related to Abraham, do not presume that you have done all the work. The stories that we heard last weekend made it plain that the enduring legacies of racism and hatred undergird, undergird every facet of American society today. Our time together was a sobering reminder of how much unfinished work lies ahead of us as a country and how much we have yet to learn as individuals and as a community. Throughout our trip, the stories of the youth leadership in the civil rights movement 
reminded me briefly of the Swedish student, uh, Greta Thunberg, who adds her voice to the chorus of black and indigenous youth who've been crying out for generations for a meaningful response to climate change. She says, please save your praise. When she was talking to the US Senate two months ago, we don't want it. Don't invite us here just to tell us how inspiring we are without actually doing anything about it, because that doesn't lead to anything. So this Advent, I pray that we might turn our hearts toward the kid prophets in our midst with a new sense of urgency and commitment in this season of waiting for a truth that is only just emerging. May we remember that leadership can often come in the form of a very noisy and very perplexing kid. May we make room for new voices and heed those that cry out for something new. May we turn our hearts and our vision toward a generation that leads the way into a dawn that is breaking toward a startlingly youthful God that just might guide our feet into the way of peace. This Advent, may we not be afraid to learn something new. Amen.